Spring turkey season is upon us, and don't be caught out in the woods without having Onyx Hunt on your phone. One feature Onyx has that is often overlooked for turkey hunting is their recent imagery filter with their elite memberships. This imagery is updated week to week, and it comes in extremely handy, especially when you're trying to find these gobble zones where these turkeys will go out in a high spot on a fresh clear cut and strut around all day long. Actually, I was just looking at on Onyx where, where the timber company just came into Andrew's club and did a very small clear cut along this creek, and I can see the high spots on the topographical map, but also I can see exactly where they mulch, and those are going to be hot spots for finding gobblers, especially mid-morning after they get off their hens, getting up on these little high spots in this fresh, small clear cut along the creek and strutting and gobbling all day long. If you want to give Onyx a try, you can actually download it for free, try it for seven days, and if you decide to purchase, you can use the promo code SOUTHERN and save on your premium and elite memberships. So go into this turkey season, know where you stand with Onyx. Look, y'all know we harp on it a lot. You need a good pair of binos. Yeah, I never hunted with binos until I was almost into my 20s. I never did it when I was a teenager or anything like that. Or when I was a kid, we never had binos. And when I bought my first pair of Vortex binos, the first binos I ever purchased back in like 2015, it immediately made a huge difference for me, especially in the turkey woods. So give yourself the advantage of a good pair of binos this spring, whether you're looking for more of like an entry-level bino like the Vortex Diamondbacks or something really, really nice like the Razors. Vortex is going to have something for you. And hey, don't pay full price for it. Use our discount code at eurooptic.com. Use the code SGN10 to get a discount on any Vortex optics that you want to order. Again, that's eurooptic.com, code SGN10 to go get a discount on any Vortex product you order. If you live in the Gulf Coast region, you need to find yourself at the EcoWild Expo May 10th through the 12th in Mobile. It is the premier outdoor expo for the Gulf Coast region, and we're going to be there. We're going to have a booth. We're super excited about it. Can't wait to meet you guys that live down there. We absolutely love the Gulf Coast region, so to be a part of this show, we're super excited about. We're going to have past podcast guests there at our booth for you to talk to, guys who are relevant for your area, who you can talk to, you can pick their brain, you can joke with them, laugh with them, tell them your story, whatever you want to do. It's going to be a awesome time. We're already working on some past podcast guests, but hey, if you live in this area and you have a suggestion for someone you want to see at that show, write in and we'll see if we can get them. There's going to be all kinds of exhibitors at the show that are focused on hunting, fishing, conservation, and recreation. There's going to be activities for the whole family there. They got axe throwing, archery. They're going to have our podcast booth. And then for the kids, they got touch tanks, a honeybee exhibition, a raptor show, kids fishing tank, BB gun range, and a butterfly house. So you're going to love it. Your kids are going to love it. It's going to be an awesome time. So head on over to ecowildexpo.com to get more information on the show and to go ahead and grab your tickets. And hey, mark it on your calendar, May 10th through the 12th. Be there. We want to see you and we're excited to talk to you. So we'll see you at the EcoWild Expo this May 10th through the 12th at the Mobile Convention Center in Mobile, Alabama. You're listening to the Southern Outdoorsman Podcast. Make sure you like and subscribe to the podcast. You can check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. If you'd like to support the show, you can go to patreon.com forward slash the Southern Outdoorsman. Now let's get to the episode. Presented by Hunting Exchange, a marketplace for serious hunters by serious hunters. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Southern Outdoorsman Podcast. Today, we are talking postseason scouting, shed hunting, and all things deer hunting with two of our most popular guests ever, Mr. Rusty Johnson of United Outdoors and Nathan Killen. Rusty, how are you? 
I am doing great. Good to be back. Glad to have you back, man. Nathan, how are you doing? It's been a minute since you've been on. Yes, sir. Uh, doing good. Uh, just looking forward to getting back in the woods. Absolutely. Jacob, how are you? Uh, doing well. I'm, ex- I'm, I'm beyond excited for this episode, like for real. So uh, I'm over here <laughs> giddy. And then we got Michael Pike over here, which we got to do a little introduction for. Poor guy. Just got off a 12-hour night shift, and uh, he's he, he's <laughs> rolling into the studio with a couple hours of sleep. So, Mike, how yeah, you doing? Yeah, yeah. It was pretty rough. I got home and in bed about 10 o'clock this morning, was up about 2.30, and left the house at 3.30, and drove two hours to that Birmingham traffic in traffic 280 traffic if y'all know what that's all about yeah our Birmingham listeners know so it's 6 a.m for Michael right now it's 6 p.m for the rest of us <laughs> listen Nathan Nathan works a night shift too he was telling me so Nathan, you, you might be able to yeah, relate with old Michael came, <laughs> yeah yeah I just came off a uh, night shift this morning so I got in bed about seven this morning and was back up by 10 so uh, I gotta be able to sleep tonight so you know get up early absolutely well i want to kind of uh you know kind of throw out the topic like andrew mentioned in the beginning of this episode you know i wanted to have both of you guys on i had this idea come up a couple of weeks ago uh for a great postseason or late season scouting episode mixed with some shed hunting with two guys who i think are known for you know y'all's style of not only shed hunting but also the postseason scouting both in you know the mountains you know russ you're coming in from northwest arkansas in the ozark mountains and nathan coming in from uh the appalachian mountains uh in virginia and of course you know you hunt a couple other states as well nathan i know hill country and mountains so both y'all come in from you know, that kind of same perspective of mountain hunting, but in totally different states. Uh, probably if I had to guess between you guys, probably almost 800 miles uh, difference between you two dudes. So there's going to be a lot here that I really want to talk about and I want to break down because I'm curious with both of y'all's perspectives of postseason scouting and how that lends you to be successful for this following season and how you use that to your advantage. So Nathan, I kind of want to kick off with you. Uh, when it comes to postseason scouting, what is some of those things that you've learned over the last, say, decade of you really focusing on this that's been kind of eye-opening for you on how you've been able to adjust from what you used to do to what's been making you be successful the last 10 years? It's just, you know, spend as much time uh, in the areas that I'm uh, hunting and potentially going to hunt, you know, as possible, you know, just learning as much as I can uh, about those areas, you know, uh, whether it's... Uh, other hunters, you know, uh, sign that or tree stands, stuff like that they've left behind, you know, that lets me know, you know, what kind of hunt pressure the area might get as well as, uh, you know, the deer density and, uh, the potential for the, you know, what the age class is of the deer that's in there, you know, and to also verify, you know, is there a buck that I'm interested in pursuing, you know, does he exist? Because if he doesn't exist where you're wanting to hunt, then, you know, um, then all your efforts is going to be fruitless, really. So, And that's a huge part. And, Rusty, I want to kind of turn it over to you, too, because I know both of you guys are very much uh, specifically targeting or like to target specific bucks. Uh, and that's something that I'm very interested in and how this postseason really plays off, postseason scouting really plays off for it. Now, Rusty, kind of the same question for you, which I know it's still season in Arkansas. Y'all go to the end of February because y'all are insane over there. Um, yeah. But <laughs> when it comes to, again, the same kind of question – say the last 10 years and kind of focusing hardcore on postseason scouting and also the shed hunting, how has that played a factor for you in being more successful? Yeah, uh, I agree with uh, what Nathan said also. My number one goal in postseason scouting is locating a a buck that I'm interested in going after. That is my number one goal. And 
you do that by either seeing him in person, and I did see one yesterday in a new area that I will be going after, or, you know, finding a shed or looking for big sign, you know, big tracks. Uh, you know, the track is mainly what I'm looking for. Yesterday was a great day for me. You know, we still had snow on the ground, and, man, I seen a lot yesterday. Didn't find any sheds, but I saw a lot. But my number one goal is to locate that buck. And then once I get him located, I know he's there. And here, you, the, you know, the season's still open, but basically it's over. There's hardly anybody hunting. And uh, if you see him now, then most likely he's going to be there come fall. And that brings up a great question that I want to kind of go back and forth with Nathan and you, Rusty, um, is y'all both mentioned it's a great time of year to kind of find that specific buck. And I know, Nathan, you also mentioned to kind of figure out where the hunting pressure has been uh, for this past year. But when it comes to, you know, finding that specific buck, what about the postseason scouting? When you find that specific deer, what ha- gives you the confidence that he's going to be back in there during hunting season the next year? Uh, and Nathan, I'll let you take away with that first. Well, I tell you, uh, that's, uh, that's really depends on the acorn crop, whether he will be there, uh, this come, you know, fall, uh, or not, because see, that's really what drives, uh, a good year or not around here. You know, uh, it, you might find uh, a buck this year and most likely he's not going to go too far from there. Uh, but, uh, you know, if, for example, you know, this year our acorn crop was uh, above, you know, like 4,000 feet and up. So, uh, you know, last year I found uh, a shed off of a really big deer that I was interested in hunting. That area had a good acorn crop last year. Well, uh, I run trail cameras in there, uh, verified that he was there, had a lot of trail camera pictures of him. Uh, but this fall, uh, you know, by the time the acorns started dropping, there was no acorns there. So, you know, I kept running my cameras all the way up through November, and he was gone. You know, he 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 left out there and went somewhere else, and I was never able to relocate him. But, um, you know, the, our whole season hinges off of the acorn crop. If if there's good acorn, in other words, if, if, if I find him this year and next year is going to be a carbon copy of uh, this past year, and I know he's going to be back in there doing the same thing again. But, but if, if the years are different as far as acorn crop, then you're going to have to relocate that deer again. You know, sometimes you do, sometimes you don't. And I hope that answered your question there. Yeah, absolutely. And kind of turn it back over to you, Rusty. What is your take on that? Again, finding sign and even seeing that buck at this point in the season, what gives you the confidence he's possibly back in there? It is, again, is acorns a factor for you, hunting pressure? What are some of those factors for you? In these Ozark Mountains, and I'm sure it's the same out there, uh, everything revolves around the acorn crop, you know, the mass crop. Uh, You know, we don't have the big ag fields and, you know, the big open fields and stuff like that. It's it's all basically all timber, and everything revolves around that acorn crop. And, you know, I found kind of like if I see one right now, uh, he's going to be in the same general area. That don't mean he's going to be, you know, that's not going to be his core area. But he's going to be, you know, where that mass crop is. And I've kind of found that the the white oaks and the red oaks kind of kind of do like a rotate. You know, you might have a good red oak this year and a good white oak next year. This year we had an insanely good year for red oaks. And, I mean, there's still red oaks that they're eating right now. And that's what 
I'm concentrating on right now is where those red oaks are. So when it comes to looking around postseason, uh, like really right now in this time frame, uh, Rusty, I'll start with you. Are are you doing anything to scout mast this time of year? And what I mean by that is, are you searching out um, any kind of benches or, or anything like that that are holding a lot of those oak trees that you're looking for? Or even uh, one thing I've heard mentioned is is uh, like when you get a hard frost kind of late in the spring and it, it can affect the acorn crop for the next year. Do you ever scout anything like that as well um, this time of year? Yeah, I mean, I know from experience that uh, – you know, the, the white oak and the red, some years you'll have both and then you'll have pockets of both just about all years. So, I mean, you need to locate where, I mean, it's hard to explain, but I've got, I've got certain areas that I know, you know, by hunting there the last 10 to 15 years, I know that, you know, it's going to be like a rotate and there might be good white oaks this year and good red oaks next year and it seems like you know around here you know i know you're talking about the frost and stuff uh it it seems like i mean i know it affects it but it seems like they rotate i mean there's almost always pockets and you just got to locate those those pockets and i mean and it, it, it revolves around that i mean because the, they got to eat you know and it revolves around where those are at so Nathan, I want to kind of pose that same question to you. Um, are you doing anything this time of year to seek out those those areas that are going to hold more of those oak trees that you're looking for? Not really, because to be honest with you, they are on every ridge and every mountain. They're absolutely everywhere around here. So, uh, and and you mentioned the frost thing. Uh, you know, this past spring, you could tell exactly where our acorns were going to be because uh, we had uh, we had. Uh, actually, some uh, weather that came through, and the lower elevations, it were, was cold and frosty, and the upper elevations were kind of, uh, the temperature was a little bit warmer, uh, and so there was, I guess, it, you know, it depends on that the time frame when those oak trees are in bloom, too, when all this happens. It's a, got a lot to do with timing, but, you know, once spring rolled around, our upper elevations actually started getting green uh, before our lower elevations did, which is actually opposite for us. So you could tell then uh, where the uh, uh, most likely the acorns were going to be at, and that's exactly what happened this past year, you know. Uh, the acorns were uh, up higher, but, uh, you know, that what's on one ridge is the same as the next and the next and the next, you know, some years, uh, or sometimes some years we'll go two or three years with no acorn crop. And that is really hard on the deer, you know, especially, uh, you know, late winter and stuff, whenever they don't have much to uh, eat. Now they still find ways to make a living, you know, eating and stuff. But, um, the, some of the areas that, uh, I really key in on, uh, would be like public ground that, is within a mile or two of some kind of uh, agricultural type areas, you know, that that way the deer have access uh, to grass. You know, like this year, um, you know, whenever, you know, I start shed hunting, which I've done a little bit, I found a couple of antlers, uh, what is today, Monday, Tuesday? Anyway, it was back last week. Uh, yeah, today's Monday. But my shift work, it gets me mixed up on my days anymore, but, Anyway, uh, this year I'm concentrating on grass, and so far uh, every shed that I've found is in relation to grass. Matter of fact, I found a shed this season, and uh, it was in grass. But um, 
uh, you know, that way I know that my deer uh, are not going to be too far, you know, once I find uh, what I'm looking for. And, uh, you know, those, they still have, uh, you know, if there's no acorn crop, then there's, there's grass, you know, or some kind of food not too far away. And, you know, once you get into those agricultural type areas anyway, you start getting into really good browse and stuff. So because of those transitions. Hey, Nathan, I've got a quick question. We don't really have a whole lot of that elevation change like where we're at. So I'm just curious, what's the reason for it being, uh, you know, colder down low and then it turning greener up top? Does that have to do with like some kind of moisture, uh, you know, on the landscape or something or what? Yeah, well, you know, sometimes uh, I've, there's a, a weather station, you know, but let me just start out with our elevations. You know, our elevations will start anywhere from, you know, around 2,000 feet up to, you know, five, 6,000 feet. 6, 000, right at 6,000 feet is the highest peak here in Virginia, but I hunt the area where that's at some. But anyway, uh, there's a weather station up on top, and you can sometimes it will be warmer up top than it is down lower. And, you know, I, I'm no weatherman, so I don't know exactly what causes that. But, you know, uh, just like this past year, you know, during that time frame, we the temperatures were cooler down low than what they were up top. And so we had a, a, a heavy frost down low. And during that time, uh, you know, I guess the oaks were starting to bloom out some and, and those were killed out, but the ones up top, were not killed out so because there was no frost up there you know this all brings up a question especially when we're talking uh food sources and you know for both of you guys you talk about you know acorns uh or if, I, if i'm going to be true here acorns um uh, <laughs> yeah. or or a, or a uh, get it right. there you go i know <laughs> listen now oh man we need uh, russ we need old clay newcomb on here just tell us right with that podcast episode you did about acorns um but yeah. <laughs> Anyways, so um, the idea of, you know, this food source talking about um, acorns, I'm going to blend in with everybody, okay, because <laughs> I don't normally say it, it feels weird, but when acorns are such a big uh, feed source, a food source for these deer, and that really dictates where they're at on not only elevation-wise in these mountains, but also just location of the mountains, because I'm sure Rusty... So I hunted Arkansas this year um, up there in, in the Ozarks and uh, was able to kill a black bear uh, opening day of muzzler season. And it was in an area that had, like you said, crazy red uh, uh, red oak mass. Like crazy. I mean, some of the heaviest oak acorn drop I've ever seen. It was ridiculous. There was one spot, literally I almost slid down off this bench because there was that many acorns on it, okay? Uh, no joke. No, no lie. Like It was like walking on pea gravel. I believe it. I believe it. But... But then we went down to the taxidermist. So I went to drop the bear off because uh, I was going to get uh, a rug mount, whatever. And uh, we were down there uh, in town, and there were some locals in there, and they were talking about how bad the acorn crop was just, I mean, 10 miles the opposite direction. Direction, like They were like, yeah. there's nothing, no red oaks, no white oaks, nothing's dropping, period. And it, you know they were talking about like a late frost and everything and how it hit and just so happened, I guess, the side of the mountain we were on, um, which was like a south face, big south facing slope, it just didn't get hit, I guess, compared to some of these other guys that were fairly close around there, which plays a factor. I can see in postseason scouting for both of you guys, depending on how the acorn crop was, depends on where the deer are at. But Nathan, like you said earlier, you know that can switch from year to year, completely different elevations. So you may find a buck right now and find a shed at say Nathan, maybe for you, maybe it's, you know, 3,500 feet, but next year he might be closer to 5,000 feet or he may be closer to down the valleys based off the acorn crop, the browse, the moisture levels, everything, which 
Yes. And I can see that being for both of you guys, even Rusty, you too. So the yeah. one thing I'm trying to wrap my head around from a postseason scouting standpoint is, what are some of those biggest takeaways that you can get by finding those sheds, finding and either laying eyes on a buck, like Rusty, you said you did, um, or just finding his bed, finding the areas, the big sign and everything that's going to possibly tell you if the acorn crop isn't exactly the same as next year or uh, this coming season as it was last season of where this buck, where this buck could shift to and, and how that could play a factor for it. Because that's the biggest thing I'm looking at is like you put all this time into scouting, you know, a couple different areas or maybe a huge region covering miles and miles, but doesn't guarantee you this fall is going to look like this past year. So let me ask you, Nathan, I'll let you kind of take it away. I mean, just what is your take on that? I know you cover a ton of, and both of you guys cover a ton of miles. I know y'all probably wear through some boots. Uh, but Nathan, I mean, how big of how big of a headache is that for you when you like, you're finding the sign now, but it doesn't guarantee they're going to be anywhere on this side of the mountain or anything come, you know, in September, October, November? It can definitely be frustrating, but, uh, you know, whenever I'm scouting, you know, like you say, covering a lot of miles, you know, and just being as thorough as possible but uh you know i'm always uh, taking a mental note of historical sign you know uh that's you know i want to know what's going on now but i also you know pay attention to what uh you know like big rubs and stuff that you know may have been there two or three years ago so that could give you it keep you off to where you know uh he might be you know like this fall you know uh once you know well once I've located the bucks that I'm uh, interested in hunting, you know, this uh, winter and spring, I'm going to run my trail cameras through the summer to try to pick them up again and verify that they, you know, that in fact they are still alive and to see what he's going to look like. And uh, then once uh, season starts rolling in, you know, getting close, and, you know, by then I'm going to have a pretty good idea of where those uh, uh, acorns are going to be. And then I just start relying on, you know, what I remember from my, you know, previous, uh, you know, scouting during the winter and stuff, you know, where was I seeing some uh, rubs during that, t- you know, uh, in that area, you know, uh, where they made years back, you know, that maybe whenever those rubs were there, you know, I might be able to uh, think back and, you know, was there a good acorn crop, here, you know, there during that time period, you know. So, you know, stuff like that can help tip you off to where they might have gone, you know. So it's a lot more based around it. It made more sense when you explain that, like finding that what you would call like historical sign, like that sign where you can see this, yeah. this tree's been rubbed for who knows how many years. Um, I, I can, that, that, that makes, to me, that makes even more sense when you're trying to overlay that sign with the acorn crops. And also maybe, and well, Rusty, not, oh, I'm not trying to take it. God, I got, a, I got another question, but Rusty, I want to give you a chance to answer, answer that last one. Um, yeah, let me do this real quick. Rusty, your take on that when it comes to, again, you know, what are some of those things, those other factors when you're trying to cover, again, miles. I mean, I know you cover a lot of ground. Y'all cover more ground than like, you know, I know some flatlanders that say they walk a lot, but y'all walk in some elevation. And I mean, it's a totally different yeah. ball game out there. I've been out there, dude. I almost died trying to get this freaking black bear back to the truck and it was straight uphill the whole way. Um, but, you know, Rusty, what's your take on that? Like, again, what's giving you the confidence when you're, confidence when you're finding this sign, you're seeing the buck, you're finding the sheds, this time of the year that you probably have an idea based off, I know y'all run a ton of trail cameras. You're going to be able to pick that deer back yeah. up and be able to move with him throughout that shift in the fall. So, I mean, my number one goal is just to either lay eyes on him or, or find his shed or find that big track. I just want to know he's in a general area. If I can just get a broad general area, 
then I feel like I'm pretty confident that I can come back in the summer, put trail cameras out, and I can eventually find that buck. I mean, I may have to bounce them around, but I feel like that I can eventually find him, and then I can hone in on him. But right now, uh, this time of year in the postseason, I do look at the sign, but I'm really, really and truly wanting to find that big track, find that shed, or or actually lay eyes on him. I want. I just want to know that he's there. I just want ver- some kind of verification that he is in the general area. And then, after I know he's in a general area, then I can start trying to fine tune, like trying to find him in the summer. That's kind of that's kind of the way I go at it. And I, I like. I actually. I know it's not as good for the wildlife, but I actually like years when the acorn crop is not as good because. I'm I'm fixing to put my work in, and I'm going to find those pockets, and I'm going to find it. So I really actually like ears that are really low on the mast. I mean, to me, it makes it a little bit easier. Yeah, I'll agree with that, too. I'm the same yeah. way. Yeah, because really, if you have too many acorns, that's almost as bad as having zero. Well, did that answer your yeah, absolutely no it answered the question mike michael's over here and he was like trying to well he's i was just going to say that's what michael perry always says is he'd rather have you know those isolated you know oaks versus yeah. a whole bunch and it just makes sense the deer are more spread out they're not as concentrated in one area so uh that's what i was gonna say yeah. i do have a question i, I want to know you know with y'all covering a lot of ground i covered a lot of ground when i first started um you know hunting public land and I was just curious to know what kind of percentage when you're going in and you're scouting, let's say you've already scouted one year in an area, what's the percentage, I guess, of how much new ground are y'all covering, you know, the, the second or third time around versus, you know, are you re-scouting an area to really nail down some more details? Like, how does that kind of look? And we can just keep the same routine going. Uh, we'll go with Nathan first and then Rusty. Yeah, well, I'm definitely, I'm always looking at new areas. Uh, matter of fact, I love uh, checking out new spots. That That's probably one of my favorite things, uh, just from the adventure aspect of it. I'm just the type of guy that I've always got to know what's on the next ridge, you know. And uh, if I don't know what's there, I've got to go. But, uh, you know, I, I definitely revisit areas that, uh, you know, I've hunted. And I've always got a bucket list of new spots that I want to go check out, you know. And uh, because it, really and truly, if you want to be consistent uh, at killing a big deer, you, that's that's what you have to do, you know, because areas will cycle. You know, some years uh, you'll, you may go two or three years with almost nothing in, you know, certain areas, and then they'll start coming back around. And a lot of that has to do with, you know, uh, hunting pressure and uh the lack of uh, food you know so and i, I noticed rusty mentioned something other uh there a few minutes ago with pockets it, that's exactly what you're looking for is those pockets of deer you know uh, because i don't know what the population is of deer out in the ozarks but you know here in the mountains uh, of virginia you know you may have some areas that may only have you know two or three deer per square mile, whenever other areas, you know, you may have eight or 10 deer per square mile. So, you know, obviously you're looking for those spots that's going to have uh, the most deer in them. And, and of course, you know, the bigger deer that you're really wanting to get into. But I've noticed that 
that some of the areas that have the least deer population is where you're going to find your uh, bigger deer. And is that the same way with where you're at, Rusty? I, I, I 100% agree with you there. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. I know that that's something, again, Michael Perry really stressed to me. I don't know <laughs> if he stressed it on a podcast or not, but I've always told him I'd like to see some of these areas get some more clear cuts, a little bit more diversity because Black Warrior, uh, where we usually hunt, it has a low deer density. And, I, and a lot of people have talked about, you know, wanting to see just a little bit more deer there. And he's like, well, he said, I, I don't know. He said, you know, all of these places that have more deer don't, you know, hold as many bucks, it doesn't seem like. Or, so or as big a bucks. That's, this one, what did I say? No, you said as many oh, bucks. Yeah. I, mean, I know as places that have way bucks. more. Mi- have, as many state records. Yeah, there you <laughs> yeah. go. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Which well, I, you know, that kind of comes back to uh, the personality of individual bucks and seem like the older bucks get, the less um, social they are. And they don't like being around uh, larger populations of deer. They want to be by themselves, you know. And it's just like, you know, there is one piece of private that I hunt, which is where uh, I work. And uh seems like, you know, uh, I work at a power station and we have a landfill there. And that landfill has grass on it where there's a lot of deer that use that uh, landfill. But seems like, uh, now we do have a couple of uh, older deer that, or in those type of areas, but to to really get into the bigger deer, seems like you have to get away from uh, those uh, heavier population areas, and then you start, you know, getting into uh, some of the bigger bucks and stuff. It's like they work around the outer fringes of that. That's a good question, Michael. I'm I'm glad you asked that question, and I'm about fifty fifty. I like exploring new areas. Like yesterday, I was in a completely. I wouldn't say I've not never been there, but I haven't been there probably in two or three years. But I like going into my old areas to see if I can figure out what bucks made it, what bucks didn't make it or whatever. But I also like going into those new areas and exploring new territory and trying to find new bucks, you know, backup spots or whatever, you know. But, yeah, that's that's a good question. And I, I do about 50-50. And that's something that I've been always curious with when it comes to postseason scouting is like I'll talked about, you know, how much time do you put into spots that you're already been hunting, you're having success with versus finding new areas? Because I think, I think the one thing we can all relate with when hunting public land, depending on what kind of land you're hunting, you know, national forest is totally different in my opinion than some state management areas because national forest probably won't change boundaries whole much. Like that federal land's going to stay like that where at least where we're in Alabama, things are constantly changing. We may gain some property on some state management land, uh, on WMA, or we may lose a couple thousand acres just because the crazy stuff happened in Alabama, which is for an outro or whatever else we'll talk about. Um, but when it comes to kind of figuring out when you're trying to find that new area that you're going to be going into, you know, some of those certain kind of features or aspects of things that like catch your attention like hey this is a place i need to go walk based off xyz whether it's the diversity it's uh, i know nathan you're all about in a lot of areas like super hard access um this areas that a lot of guys aren't going to want to go to areas that have again the ruggedness but also has the habitat there that you know if you're willing to walk or you know climb some mountains or whatever you can get into a pr- potentially a pretty good area that's worth scouting and walking out how much of that plays a factor for both of you guys? And, and Rusty, I'm going to start with you on the aspect of when you add shed hunting into your postseason scouting, 
and you're looking for sheds. I mean, that's excitement anyways. I mean, I know you just had an awesome day a couple days ago. I mean, I saw you with, it looked like you had an armful of, of, uh, of antlers. looks like, uh, our buddy Tyler Malone said you had a good day yard picking, uh, or yard selling because, yeah. I mean, <laughs> you, know, I mean, yeah. you, you look like one of these guys out West has got your whole backpack full. So, you know, that adds some excitement too, I think with the postseason scouting. It's like, Hey man, there's a chance, you know, go find some antlers. Everybody loves antlers. That's cool. But when, oh, you're, yeah. when you're going to a new area, you have that level of excitement. Like, oh, let's go find some antlers. But also, again, putting together a game plan of whether this area is worth your time come the summer when you start running trail cameras and also based off what you find on trail camera, worth hunting this coming season. So, you know, how many times do you think you go out there and you're breaking down a property and like, hey, I'm going to go check out this new spot. It's a dud versus like there is some potential here based off what I'm finding. Yeah, I mean, uh, like when I when I'm getting ready to go to a new area that I haven't either have never been there or haven't been there in a few years, I'll, I'll look at the map first. Of course, you cannot replace boots on the ground. I'm I'm a firm believer in that, but I do use the maps, and I'll look on that map and I'll I'll formulate a, a game plan of you know exactly where I want to go, you know how I want to spend my day and how I want to approach that area before I ever go into it. But, uh, I mean, food is not, is number one. I mean, and you know, when you're fine, when you're looking for sheds, my number one is, is food. I mean, they're going to eat deer eat four or five times a day. That's where they're going to spend most of their time is eating. And, uh, whatever's green right now is where you're going to find them sheds. Nathan, I mean, what, what's your kind of take on that again when it comes to, you know, picking that spot, going in there, depend, depending on possible uh, percentage of, you know, whether it's going to be a dud or not. How many places do you have to really work through and put boots on the ground before you find something that really is catching your attention? It's worth you putting some more time into. Oh, well, well I mean, I'm going to ditto what Rusty said there. I couldn't say it much better myself, actually. But uh, I don't know. I mean, obviously, you know, some places don't work out. Uh, but that's why we scout because really and truly, and as one of my buddies say, you know, the, the places that don't work out are as important as the places that do work out because you can just cross them off the list, you know. And, uh, uh, but, you know, as long as I can go in there and uh, see the type of sign that I'm looking for, you know, and if I can find sheds off of that deer, that's obviously a bonus, you know. But then I'm going to start, you know, if it's an area that I'm not familiar with, what kind of caliber bucks it's in there, you know, I go in, I scout it. If the sign is there that I like to see, then I'm going to run, you know, cameras in there to try to, you know, see what he looks like and verify that, you know, that he still is there. And so sometimes you're surprised. Sometimes there's several good deer in those type of spots. Mm-hmm. So I've got a question. Uh <clears throat> I know we don't have to deal with snow a whole lot here, but I know a lot of our listeners do. And, you know, this time of year, you know, a lot of places will have snow on the ground and you can't really see that, you know, rut sign and, and things like that at this time of the year. Do y'all go in and use the snow to kind of, I guess, help you out and kind of gauge like how much activities in the area and where they're going and what they're feeding on and that kind of thing? Yeah, I mean... We don't get a lot of snow here. We just had a really good snow, about eight inches right here. And I mean, anytime it snows, if I can get out there at all, I'm gonna get out there. And uh, yesterday was one of those days that I was able to get out there and spend some time. And 
I've been wanting to go to this area. I, I mean, I, I just flat out got lucky yesterday. Didn't find a single shed, but boy, I mean, I was excited because I found a lot of good potential stuff. Even though I didn't find any sheds, the snow was still pretty deep. And uh, I'm sure there are some in there. I just missed them. But uh, man, anytime it comes to snow where you can see tracks and stuff like that, if there's any possible way to get out there, I, I will I will get out there. Yeah, I'm like Rusty, you know. Um, I, well, matter of fact, right now, up in the upper elevations, we've probably got, I don't know, some areas still 12 to 14 inches, but now down here around the house and stuff, the snow is all melted off. But, you know, uh, whenever it comes to shed hunting, like Rusty said, you know, you can it's easy to, uh, to miss them, you know. But now sometimes if the snow has been on for quite a long time during the right time period, then, you know, uh, they're, it can make it easy to find them. But uh, one of the biggest things that I think that you can learn uh, whenever you have snow on the ground, if you can pick up a big set of tracks and, and you know, bucks, it, it, you'll notice normally that they're, they're by themselves. So that's one, uh, you know, if it's one set of tracks, it's a, a good indication that it's just or a buck. And, of course, you're looking for the size of the track. And, and just, but the one thing that you can learn from it is how he moves through that area and so you know whenever they snow on the ground if i if i've got a chance to go you know like rusty said you know uh, get out and uh look at tracks and stuff you know that's that's the main thing that i'm looking to see is how he actually goes through his area because you can learn a lot about a buck uh by how he moves through the area you know that gives you an idea of you know where some good spots are to set up in now i've got a question for each of you nathan i want to start with you first um is is the aspect of postseason scouting for potential areas to target during the rut? In in your area, Nathan, yeah. just starting with you, is there any validity on stuff you can find right now that you're like, I can, I know I can hunt this, you know, November eighth through the sixteenth or wherever, um, and potentially you know really get on some great activity based off the habitat, possible bedding cover, travel corridors, and all the sign you're finding right now. Is that something that you found, and and what is your take on again finding spots for the rut uh, right now postseason? Yes, uh, and and my answer to that would be you know with two things: uh, historical uh, rut sign, and I'm talking about those scrapes that's there year after year after year, and uh, even regardless sometimes of uh, the uh, acorn crop whether it's there or not, some some areas will always historically have a uh, rut sign there. And also uh, bedding areas, you know, I, I hunt closer to bedding than I do food. And it's because our bedding here is uh, more predictable than the food is. You know, you can have an area that, you know, if the bedding is good and, uh, you know, and, and most of the time it's going to be, you know, mid-mountain and higher, so, you know, if you find good areas that, you know, that the deer are frequently bedding in, you know, it doesn't really matter whether the uh, acre crop is going to be uh, a thousand foot below that or a thousand foot above that, because most likely they're still going to be bedding there. But once they get up from their bed, then they're, you know, that uh, they might be moving in a different direction from year to year. So, you know, I'm for sure looking for historical rut sign, you know, those big scrapes and, and big ruts and stuff. And, areas that uh, are holding, you know, several deer, you know, a year round as far as bedding. Now, Rusty, what is your take on that? Again, on finding sign now 
in areas, pinch points, the whole nine yards, which I know we talked with you on your, your episode about, you know, these yeah. ditches and drainages that you love to target for, for you know, the rut. Um, but what is your take on, again, finding sign now that's like this could potentially be a dynamite spot come November, you know, where you're at in the Ozarks in Arkansas? Yeah, I look for scrapes and rubs, and this time of year, uh, that tells you there's a buck there to begin with. I mean, that I mean, it's hundred percent chance that's that's a buck. He's there, uh, but I use I use maps a lot, and I use those waypoints. And you know, I'll mark where a scrape is. I'll mark where a rub is. I mark every shed that I find. But I look for those scrapes and those rubs, and then I back off, and I'm like, okay. Here's where his scrape line is. Here's where his rub line is. Now I'm going to put a, a game plan together with some of the stuff that I talked to you on the previous podcast on how I'm going to kill that buck. You know, I, I know he's there. Here's where his scrape line is. Here's where his rub line is. How's he going to travel? And where's he going to be like? Where's he going to be at during daylight? And that's kind of what I do. But in postseason, I'm looking for the scrapes and the rubs. And then from there, I can formulate a game plan on what I want to do, which is completely outside the box probably from what anybody else is going to do. But but I, I just want to locate him. That's the main thing. In postseason, I just want to locate. Now, a question that I wanted to kind of get over to is uh, I, I want to talk about the topic of uh, shed hunting. This is something that you now Andrew's got some questions on. We've got some questions. And the re- one reason why I want to kind of bring the shed hunting aspect is that is one way other than visually seeing that deer while he still has antlers on his head or seeing a really large track. That's one way you can truly tell that there's a quality buck here based off that antler. Now, then again, you know, it might not always tell you exactly the age of the deer, but if you have a really good understanding of what the deer or what the, the habitat is producing quality wise, a deer in your area, you should have a decent idea when you find a shed of potentially how old this deer is and whether or not it's going to be a shooter. Um, so Rusty, kind of starting with you, when it comes to like finding sheds, are any of those, how much, how important is it for you? Let me ask you this first. When you're running as many trail cameras as you and your son do, because y'all run a crap ton of trail cameras, and yeah, uh, we run a lot. So, a that, lot. and that's it, it's interesting because again, y'all form a, a really good plan when it comes to the trail cameras. But how important is it for you to go and try to find the sheds off bucks that you had Im, uh, images of that you think are going to be great target bucks for this coming season? Yeah, it's it's extremely important, and and man, do I get excited when I find sheds. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's it's important. I mean, just like the buck that I killed this year with uh, my uh, muzzleloader. Uh, you know, we had the trail cam of him in 2019. We had the trail cam of him in 2020. I had a good friend of mine found the match set from I believe it was 2019. Had the match set. He was gracious enough to tell me where he found them. They were laying side by side where he found them. And you just put all of that together. But, I mean, shed hunting plays a real big part in it. I mean, you're not always going to find those sheds. But, boy, when you do, boy, it helps that game plan come together. I mean, it really does. I, I believe it does. Nathan, what about you? When it comes to, again, deer that you might have had on trail camera, you know, how important is it for you to go in there, you know, late season or at the end of season to try to find his sheds to not only confirm that he's still there, but also to formulate a better game plan of how to kill him this coming season? Well, like Rusty said, I mean, it's, it's, it is important. And, and I'm the same way, man. There's nothing like walking up on a, uh, uh antler off of a, a buck that you're familiar with, but, you know, it, it trail cameras can lie to you a lot. You know, sometimes they're bigger than what they look on camera, and sometimes they're not as big, you know, because 
some deer a lot like humans you know uh, they have different statures you know so some that they may look mature and are mature but you know he's not that really big of a deer even though on camera he looks like a really big deer but you know um if you got those antlers in your hand you know exactly what he is then you know but um mm-hmm. I, I mostly shed hunt for well for two reasons i, I just i like having stack of horns you know they ain't nothing like walking up on them in the woods it's exciting but the once i locate uh the size shed that you know or the quality buck that i'm looking for then i really start honing in on that particular buck so you know once once i find that then that gives me a target and and i start you know uh, really picking apart the sign and stuff, you know, because, you know, I'm sure Rusty is the same way, you know, we're targeting older age class bucks, you know, those really mature bucks, they, uh, you know, they leave bigger sign, you know, so, you know, if, if you can find that big sign and then add to it that shed, you know, uh, it's just another piece of the puzzle, you know, both of them work hand in hand. Nathan, when it comes to finding the sheds, one thing that you mentioned earlier, and I was, I was waiting for us to kind of get to shed hunting so I could bring it back up, uh, you were talking about finding some sheds like in grassy areas, for instance, and uh, and you noticed, you said you noticed finding a couple sheds in areas like that recently. Um, I was going to ask about patterns when it comes to shed hunting and, and locating basically a pattern of where you're finding those sheds and then kind of sticking to that pattern. Is that something that you do kind of similar to how, you know, you might try to find a pattern when you're going fishing and then capitalize on that pattern? Do you do the same thing with shed hunting in the spring? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. You know, it's just like this year, I know that the deer are going to be on grass, you know, so I'm going to spend most of my time around grass, you know, and, you know, within a mile back, you know, I'm not just looking in the fields and stuff, but, uh, it's just like, uh, one of those big sheds that I found, uh, last week, you know, I, I knew that they was grass there. So, uh, my purpose was, is to go and, you know, pretty much work around that field first. And they was still snow on most of it, but had a Southern exposure and, and parts of it, uh, uh, had melted off. Well, once I got up in there, I seen, uh, one set of really big tracks coming and going from a, uh, I could, uh, it was back toward the east there on a south slope. There was a, a real thick uh, mountain laurel ridge, and I knew, you know, by the way the tracks were going and coming, he was going back to that ridge. So, you know, I just, I covered as much ground as I could between that ridge and that uh, uh, grassy area that, you know, that he was feeding in. And actually, the grassy areas where I found that shed just out, you know, out the edge of it there. But, you know, so, you know, I've already got places in mind uh, that are grassy areas that I'm going to go hit, you know, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look at the grass. I'm going to uh, uh, go back to where the deer are bedding in relation to that. And, of course, all the trails in between, you know. So I'm, my plan is, is to hit a whole, as many places like that as possible. And real quick, Rusty, before I kind of move on to you here, uh, Nathan, how do you kind of put that pattern together? I mean, are you just going out and, and just walking a bunch until you start finding that pattern, or do you already kind of have an idea of what it's going to be based on the conditions? No, I, I've got a good idea of what it's going to be, you know. And shoot, I've been shed hunting since, gosh, back in the early 90s, late 80s, I guess, you know. And, uh, 
you know, you, you, you find sheds, uh, well, I have a lot of people say, well, where do you look? Well, absolutely everywhere, <laughs> you know, because deer will surprise you at where they will go, you know, uh, but there are higher odds places, you know, and this year high odds places will be around grass and any type of cover close to there. Or, you know, like back in the mountains where the deer don't have uh, access to grass, you know, there's a lot of snow there. So you're looking for areas with, with the high stem count, you know, a whole lot of browse, you know. So you want to concentrate on those type of areas because even if there are acres back there, and which the area that I was uh, uh, talking about just now with the high uh, snow, there was a lot of acres back there. It's about 4,000 feet. But the deer haven't been able to get to those acorns for, you know, several weeks now. So I'm not going to expect really to find much uh, in those acorns uh, right now unless they was a buck dropped his sheds, you know, back in December, you know. Uh, and once the snow's gone up there, then I will go back to where those acorns are at. But right now, you know, I, my plan is, is to go into that area actually tomorrow. And I know that they still have uh, uh, snow up there. So I'm going to – I know some places – that is really brushy, and I know that's where the deer are going to be. So, you know, uh, you're, you've just got to think about the, what the conditions are, when the deer are dropping their antlers, you know, where are they going to be, what food is available, you know. And uh, so, like Rusty said, you know, food, 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 and then work back to where the deer are bedding, you know. And, and you know, when they snow on the ground, you're going to see right where they're at, you know. Houndstooth Game Calls is your home for turkey calls this spring. Go check them out. They got all the classic turkey calls. You know, they got the pot calls and the box calls and the mouth calls. But they also got a couple really interesting calls. One of them is called the the success call. And you just need to go look it up. It's very, it's like a box call that you can work with one hand. It's really, really cool. Sounds incredible. They also got the Spurmaster, which is another very unique call that you can get some really unique, clean tones out of. They're going to help you out this turkey season. Use the promo code SOP24 to get 15% off of your order at Houndstooth Game Calls. That's SOP24. Use it at checkout. It helps the podcast. Yeah, so Rusty, I want to pitch that over to you now. Um, What what are your thoughts on that? Man, it's all about the food. I mean, like Jacob said earlier, the red oaks were just crazy this year. And I mean, they're feeding on those red oaks right now. I mean, it's amazing how long those things can last on the ground. And uh, they're feeding on them heavy. I mean, I found 18 sheds so far this year, and every single one of them has been in the timber feeding on those red oak acres. I mean, there was a couple of them that was in some really thick uh, bedding areas, but, you know, most of them were in the, on like benches, red oak benches, you know, where it's just red oak acres everywhere. And I mean, they're hitting those things hard and, and that's where they're at right now. Now I got a question for you, Rusty. Yeah. Um, I, I have noticed, now this is the way it is here in the mountains, you can, uh, back in areas that have, uh, you know, in years that we have a lot of acorns, you know, you'll be scouting this time of year, and you'll come upon these places that are absolutely tore all to pieces. I mean, they'll be, you know, a half an acre or so just absolutely tilled up, you know, where the deer are yeah. feeding on those. Yeah. But, you know, I don't find very many big antlers in those type of spots. The spots that I find uh, most of my bigger antlers is in areas where you can see uh, just, you know, where one or two deer have been feeding. It seems like those areas that are really tilled up is mostly uh, doe family groups doing that, and the bucks really aren't 
in those areas. You know, you have to get back away yeah. from those. Are you seeing the same thing in those your areas? Uh, this, I'd say as a whole, say in the last 10 or 15 years, I would say that would hold true. But, man, this year, and, you know, I've never had a, as good a stuff. I found most of these in, in late January. And, I mean, it's it's in places. It's basically wide open timber where they're just hitting these red oak acorns. Uh, of course, we don't have any, like, fields. And, I mean, it's just hardwood ridges mixed with a little bit of pine, you know. And right now I'm finding all these on most all of them has been on a bench where there's real big red oak trees that, I mean, the ground was just littered with acorns and that's where I'm finding them right now. I would say in years past, yeah, that would hold more true, but this year has been a little bit different for me so far. And Rusty, that was actually a question. Uh, Nathan, you actually asked a question I was going to ask both you guys, which was, uh, you know, on that feed sign, especially, you know, late season, you know, it was, again, the, you know, some of that sign, you know, more isolated where you're finding those bigger, you know, antlers. Um, so, it's, Nathan, I appreciate you asking that question. <laughs> uh, but, you know, that, that is something that I've been always curious with, which is, um, you know, down here in the deep south, you know, down here in Alabama, uh, and I've lived in a couple other states too, it seems like in some of these areas where we have uh, maybe less oaks and they, they just rely a lot more on just that browse cover, that thick browse to feed. Uh, and, you know, this piece of public land and these pieces of public land that we hunt on, uh, it's harder to find sheds because normally if we find a shed, it's like a couple of things. Like I found, a, well, it wasn't even a shed. I found a broken main beam off a buck while working my dog uh, this past week. Uh, but in other situations, a lot of times we don't find them until turkey hunting. And we're covering just a ton of ground, and you might come up to like a little thicket in the middle of some big timber, and then there you go, you got yeah shed there, or maybe like on a power line or gas line, just like you said, where there's a little bit of grass, you'll find them. But it always seems I'm always amazed in some with some of these guys, kind of like you guys, and, and some other people I've seen as well, um, who live in different states that just can find a ton of sheds. Which of course you're covering a ton of ground. It's not like you're walking out there for a mile or two find those sheds. Uh, which yeah. Rusty, real quick, how many miles do you think you've covered so far? As you like, you've been officially like po- your, your very own postseason scouting. Uh, if uh, if I if I'm planning the day to just go scout and shed hunt, I'm I'm averaging between ten to fourteen miles. I mean, that's that's a whole day, you know, that I would consider a whole day, about 10 to 14 miles. And I think I've been uh, probably six times, six full days. So probably 60, 70, 80 miles. And that brings up this, the thing is like, you know, some of us, myself included, uh, I'm not covering, I wasn't covering any of that kind of distance. So that's probably one reason why we're not finding as many sheds, even the areas with higher deer numbers is like, I feel like, especially late season, those deer are in such tight pockets. They're not just everywhere. Like those deer are in a specific pocket, wherever the, the highest quality food source and cover is. Um, and that's where you're going to find the sheds. And that's kind of probably been our downside. And also some other guys' downsides of maybe like, oh man, I, I never find sheds. Like all these guys find sheds. I never find sheds. Um, you know, I don't have like, you know, they see guys out in the Midwest walking cornfields and stuff like that, which is a totally different ballgame. But they're yeah, like, well, we, yeah, don't, we, we can't find sheds down here in the Southeast. And I think a, a big reason that's the case is is people not covering a ton of ground, okay? Uh, I, the biggest shed we've ever found, actually, I, I, I didn't find it. I was with Andrew. We were turkey hunting, <laughs> and uh, he found, was it a big five-point, six-point side? Yeah, it's a big, I, yeah, it is a six-point side. Yeah, he's got like, Rib a- Ribcage-looking thing. Yeah, and he's got a big old freaking, like a two-inch kicker coming off the backside of his- It's like a big old turkey spur. It looks like a turkey spur coming off the backside of his main beam. It's pretty uh-huh. wicked looking. Um, but 
it's just, you know, it's by happenstance. So Nathan, that's kind of where I was going to get back with you. Is like, how much ground do you think you cover? If, if you had to just guess between each shed that you're finding, how many miles do you think are you finding between each shed if you had to average it out? Gosh, that would depend on the area. You know, some, I'm, uh, Rusty's numbers is exactly the same as mine. You know, I'll cover 10, 12, 14 miles uh, in a day. And that's what it re- requires. You know, if you're serious about shed hunting, you have got to walk and then and, and just keep walking. But, uh, you know, some areas I may walk for two or three, uh, you know, I may spend two or three trips, you know, 10, 12 miles uh, each trip and find one or two hours. And then other areas I might go into, um, I may make, you know, a one or two mile loop and pick up four or five. You know, so really it just depends on the area that I'm in. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it. Rusty hit the nail on the head. It requires a lot of miles. Um, and, you know, I'll spend, and it depends on my work schedule too, you know. I've got more time now than, than I used to. You know, used to I'd probably put in 100 to 150 miles uh, during, the, you know, winter and spring. I've got more time now than I used to, but. You know, this year or last year, you know, I may hit 200 miles. I don't know. Last year was my best year finding sheds uh, as far as numbers and quality, too. But I've kind of changed how I shed hunt just a little bit. I'm a I'm a fast walker. and uh, But the older I get, the slower I get. And I think that actually helps me because uh, yeah. but one thing, too, I think the reason people don't find sheds is when you go shed hunting, go shed hunting. Not very many people can shed hunt and scout and look for turkey sign and everything else and expect to find very many sheds in a season, you know. So, you know, you have really got to uh, concentrate on looking for those antlers. And one thing that, uh, and I bet you Rusty does the same thing, but one thing that I do to kind of help keep your eyes sharp is, you know, when you start shed hunting and you find a shed, you know, as you're walking around, just take that shed and just toss it over into the woods. You know, don't look where it lands and then, you know, go look for that shed and and kind of train your eyes as to what they look like laying on the ground, you know. And uh, because some stick out a lot better than others, but others, you'll walk right, right over them. You know, I've, I've been shed hunting with people before and they'll be in front of me and they'll walk over top of one. And I'll pick it up behind them and say, look here, what you just walked over top of, you know. And, uh, but, you know, some people are just better at it than others, too, you know. Uh, there's very few times that I go in the woods that I don't bring one back. But, uh, you know, these other people that, you know, go with me and they, they never find anything yet, I'll come out of the woods with, you know, five or six, you know. So you can't, you got to kind of sharpen your eyes as to, you know, looking for them. And one good way to do it is just take a shed antler into the woods and just toss it around, you know, and uh, and just practice looking for it. I agree with every bit of that. I agree with every bit of that. And, I mean, people are always, I mean, I've got a lot of questions here lately. You know, how are you finding them or, you know, how are you finding so many? Man, you have got to want it to find them. I mean, you have yeah. to be willing to put the work in, and uh, if you're not willing to walk a lot of miles, a lot of miles, if you're not willing to do it, you're not going to find them. I promise you that. I know I know a lot of really good hunters that in their mind, they want to find the sheds, 
but they don't, they're not willing to put the work in or, you know, what it takes to find them. And, you know, you have to want it to be able to find numbers like that. And, and, and certain conditions too are easier to find them, aren't they, Rusty? Oh, you know, yeah. Like after yeah. a snow, once the snow yeah. is melted off, you know, those leaves are flat and wet, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and, and overcast uh, days are really good. Yeah. You know, wherever that sun is high oh, in the yeah. sky and the leaves yeah. are fluffy, they're harder to see then. So, you know, go on rainy days. Absolutely. Rainy days are my favorite. Yes, sir. Yeah. Yeah, Jacob just had me hold on for a minute, and y'all just covered what I was going to say. <laughs> I just slipped to him a minute ago. I said, uh, rainy days, and he's like, what? I don't no, understand. No, no I, knew, I knew what you were going to say. I knew. I was just like, I was like let, the, let the conversation play yeah. out, and they, they answered it for you. Yeah, those, those rainy days are really good, and I found a lot of sheds. I, I know Jacob said he hasn't. I've actually found just as many deadheads down here because it seems like our – Wherever I find the sheds are usually in bedding areas or really, really thick thickets. Um, there's only been like one or two areas that I've been to, and one of them's with Andrew, and it's one particular field, and it <laughs> is loaded. It doesn't matter I can't when you go, go there without there. finding the shed. Yeah, it doesn't matter. When you go there, the, the sheds are going to be in there, um, and it's an area that's overlooked in... There are some restrictions to it, and that's about as much as I'll say about it, um, but... <laughs> Anyways, uh, most of the ones I find are are in really thick thickets and in bedding areas. And I don't know if it's just because they're getting hung up on vines or they're just falling off. Now, I did find one with uh, like a double brow tine. Or actually, it's like two brow tines that were even split. Each one of those were split. So, it was like four different kind of points and it was kind of splayed. Um, And I found it in a bed. And I... I hunted that area all season. I never got a picture of him. I don't know if he ever. I don't. I don't know if somebody killed him or if he just died of old age. Or what about the Babe Ruth buck? Didn't you find his shed? No, I never found the oh, Babe Ruth. Oh, you bucks. didn't. Okay. No. no, I found another big one up there on Black Warrior. But yeah. um, did you find that one that was like the monster can? That the photo that you had there was like just chewed up. Yeah, that was the one that had the double split brow yeah, tie. Yeah, Michael found uh, it. Michael found one that had been out there for a little while. Raccoon got I me mean, or squirrel got to it, but it it was. The the bases on it were as big around as a uh, it, as a monster. Yeah, he had a sixteen. He had a sixteen ounce. Or oh, look at the look at, oh my god. Okay, listen, Nathan, you can't see this right now. <laughs> Rusty's showing off some freaking monsters. Yeah. That, oh my that, god, that deer is huge, dude. <laughs> that's what this one was probably a lot oh. like. Like, I mean, yeah, I'd shoot that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah I'd, I'd shoot that deer. Yeah. <laughs> Well, maybe we'll. Oh, maybe, dude, look at that deer. Okay, listen. All right. All yeah, right. maybe Show we'll have tell. to post in these pictures uh, for the for the podcast. Like when it drops, maybe I can drop it and uh, you can see it. But yeah, it's uh, it's it, it's different down here in the south from what I hear from a lot of people. Like you've really got to you've really got to cover some miles, and you almost have to stumble on them because these deer don't have to go very far. Like they have green stuff year round. And I just find, you know, down here, I find a lot more in the thick areas. Um, do y'all focus on areas like creek crossings or, you know, fence rows oh, or stuff like that where y'all are? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, uh, crossings is a really good place uh, to find them. I found a bunch in past years on that. And, you know, even on some of this public land, you have, you know, long time ago, you know, it was owned by somebody and there's a lot of old fences and stuff like that. And I like walking those fence lines, fence crossings, all that kind of stuff. But 
some of the ones that I found this year were, were talking about bedding and feeding, and I was talking about those red oak flats or benches. They're they're these deer are bedding exactly where they're feeding. I mean, there's like beds everywhere, and they're feeding right there. So I mean, it's almost like they're just standing up and they're eating, and then they're bedding down right there. They'll stand back up and eat, and they're bedding right back. I mean, they're not going anywhere. Matter of fact, uh, one of the benches that I walked in the other day where I had that good haul the other day, uh, I found three of them on one bench. And when I went in there, I ran the deer. The deer were there. I ran them off. I found those three, but it was a red oak bench. And, you know, there was beds all over it. And you could see where they were digging around finding those red oaks. And it, it was it was just like they were just getting up out of their bed, feeding, and then they were laying right back down. There was beds everywhere. Are most of your bucks already shed out, uh, Rusty? No, I, I think most of them are still holding. I mean, I have seen okay. tons of bucks with, still with both sides. I think I've just been lucky that I've found as many as I have, and our game cameras are, are still – I mean, they're still coming in, you know, holding both sides. Yeah. They're, they're, they're – yeah. They're dropping. I mean, like right now, they're coming off. That's one thing that I was actually just about to bring up when it comes to starting to look for sheds and what time of year you you guys start. Uh, because I was going to, one thing I was going to ask is if you ever work an area twice, you know, if you've still got bucks that are holding and you think it's a good area, are you going to go back and work that same thing? Uh, and then I guess as a part of that is, you know, when do you really start getting after it when most of your bucks are, are dropped? Uh, Nathan, I'll start with you. Uh, pretty much right now is when a rye start. Um, most of our bucks, I think, are shed out, and that would go by elevation too. It seems like you know the higher the elevations, they lose them a little bit earlier than the bucks in the lower elevations. But you know, I normally I keep my cameras out year round, so you know I just keep tabs on the bucks. And once I see you know most of them are uh, shed out, then uh, uh, I'll start hitting it hard. Uh, and sometimes I will go back there or, you know, go over areas more than one time, especially if, uh, if it's a new area, I haven't run cameras in there and there's a lot of sign in there and, you know, I may make a pass through there and then I may, you know, if I don't, if I don't find anything or just find one or two, then I may wait a few weeks and come back through and look again. But now if I find like just a single side off of a buck that I'm really interested in, and I really want his other side really bad, then I may make a lot of trips back in there trying to locate that other side, you know. And plus, while you're in there uh, scouting and uh, or uh, you know trying to find locate that other antler, you know you're learning uh, value information, valuable information about that area at the same time too, you know. Because you know, think about it, this time of year, you're able to go into places that you can't go into. Uh, you know, starting, you know, first of September, you know, so you, you learn yeah. a, lot, a lot about, I guess. Yeah, I agree. Um, I definitely look in the same places more than once. Um, I do every year. Uh, and I always find more, you know, I'll go into one spot, have a good day and I'll wait a week or two. I'll go right back in there and I'll find even more, but my shed hunting is going to get a hurting this year because we got a, kind of got that little thing going and we got some obligations and most of them are on the weekend. Like we're going to the wild Turkey Federation deal coming up. Are you going to be there, Jacob? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. We're going to have a booth. So you can come by the booth if you awesome. want. 
I'll come by there. But things like that, that's, that's, that's a perfect weekend uh, that's going to be, uh, I wouldn't say wasted, but normally in years past, I would be out shed hunting that I'm not going to get to go. And then we got the quest hunt thing coming up in Springfield. I'm, do, I'm scoring deer for that contest. That's another weekend. I am going to Kansas this coming weekend, though. So I'm hoping to scoop up one or two good ones up there. So, well, so I, I've been, I was going to say, Nathan, uh, I mean, this, what's your take on that? I mean, this kind of, I'm just fascinated with guys like you, like you too, that are just successful finding the sheds and then also putting a game plan together for some of these target bucks that you have years of history with. Uh, what was the question again? No, I was just this kind of following up on this conversation, just like what we're talking about, you know, with, you know, Rusty saying that he likes to go back to the different areas and really kind of, you know, follow up uh, on some of these different areas, you know, throughout the uh, the late winter, early springtime. You know, how does that, you know, play a factor for you? I know you said you cover a lot of ground. Sometimes you might go back in twice if you want to find the other side of a shed of a specific buck. Uh, but again, it seems like you're using a lot of your trail cameras to figure out exactly when you want to go in the woods. And it seems like, probably do it to give yourself a better odds of success uh, on that one trip in. Would you say that would be correct? Uh, well, you know, not necessarily. Um, because, you know, if, if deer, you know, this time food is, is you know, at a premium, you know, there is there ain't much of it. So I try, you know, to wait to the very last minute to be, you know, to go into an area. But if, if I do go in there, and I jumped a few deer or something, I don't worry too much about it, you know, not this time of year because, you know, if the deer have found, you know, food, then they're not going to go very far from there. So, you know, I will repeat places like that before. But, you know, one thing that uh, uh, I've learned about older H-class bucks uh, from shed hunting is a lot of times, you know, I've found uh, two or three uh, singles uh, off of one buck uh, from different years in one day in areas, you know, so that that's valuable information that you're gaining right there. You know, you know that that buck that that you're in his core area. Then uh, that probably didn't answer your question, no, but I, I, I felt like that was you opened up a that, new that, you you that, opened up Pandora's box with that yeah, one. Yeah, I saw the light bulb yeah. come on in Jacob's <laughs> eyes. Yeah. Mike Michael could see the sparkle yeah. in my eyes when you said that. So that was something else I wanted to ask you too is how often. Not only, well, Nathan, you said one, you know, segment of like, hey, you might find, you know, a single off a specific buck in one trip for multiple years, like in the same general area. But how often yeah. are you guys finding like a specific buck that you have, say, you know, two, three, four years of history with, and you're finding his shed multiple years in a row to kind of pinch him down to the point of you actually going out and killing that deer? And that was kind of like where I wanted to get with, with both you guys, like Rusty, maybe you could take it away first and then Nathan will go to you. Rusty, can you go through a situation like? Do you have a situation where you found multiple sheds off a specific buck for a couple of years and then finally killed him? I am super pumped that you just asked that question because I have got a little. It's a just it's a short story, but it, it it's so good that it, it brought goosebumps up on my arms. So the, let me. I'll just, I'll be. I try to be brief with it, but uh, we had a buck that we got on game camera in 2014. Okay. Uh, we thought he was four years old when we got him on camera. In, two, in 2015, he was AWOL. In 2016, I found match. Mm. 
set. That's a good that's dude. That's 2006. That's 2016. Rustin said I was off limits to hunt that buck, so I let him hunt it. He couldn't kill him. Uh, he hunted in 2017, couldn't kill him. 2018, 2019, 2020, and I just found his match set a few days ago right here. Much smaller. He's went downhill, but there is without a doubt it's the same buck. So you you can do some quick math right there and figure up how in the world is this deer still alive since 2014. And it's 2021. That's an old deer. That's awesome. And I mean, I, I found this match set and they were 50 yards apart. I found them. And they were about a mile and a half from where I found the ones in 2016. I brought them home and put them on the table. And Rustin comes in and I said, do you think that's a, a match set? He picked it up and he said, yeah, I think so. And he, he's looking at it. And then he looks in the living room because this other set I've got mounted on a head. It's just got some pegs in it where I'm put them in and out. He said, that's kickstand. I said, no way. There is absolutely no way that that can be kickstand. And we brought him over here, and I mean, it matches up identical almost to every bump on that deer. And he's just a lot smaller, and I don't see how he's got a tooth left in his head. But, I mean, that, that just goes to show you, you know, public land, highly pressured public land, and how this deer has survived all these years, I have no idea, but that... I mean, we thought he was four years old in 2014. And I mean, we've got hundreds of trail camera pictures of this deer. And I mean, he might go AWOL one year, then another year we'd get a bunch of pictures of him. Then he'd go missing and we'd get more pictures. And then I found two match sets. Is that not a story or what? Yeah, it's unbelievable. That's crazy. I mean, I, I still can't even... I still can't even fathom how that's even possible. But, I mean, you just have to see it in person. I mean, it is a perfect match, except it's just a lot smaller scale. I mean, he just went way downhill. But, I mean, it's just an amazing story. And, you know, stuff like that is what really just, I mean, I love doing this kind of stuff. I absolutely love I think it's one of the greatest uh, or coolest things about you know, being a shed hunter and a deer hunter, you know, is is building history just like that with individual deer. You know, it's almost like you've got um, some kind of a, an attachment to that deer. Yeah, yeah. And uh, anytime you can, you know, uh, find multiple uh, sheds, you know, from multiple years off of an individual buck, that that just adds so much to the story. It's that's good stuff. Oh yeah, yeah. I absolutely love it. No, <laughs> Jacobs. I never, I never had Nathan answer the question. Okay, yeah, is like, that all he's going to get? No, yeah, I was going to say, Nathan, have you found just to kind of go over that same question just for yourself? You no, know, have you have you found you know sheds from a year or two of a specific buck went in there and killed him the following like one of the following seasons and kind of have that history with that deer? Yes, yeah, I've got uh, a few on my wall like that. Matter of fact, my biggest one, uh, my hundred eighty four inch deer from. West Virginia, you know, I've got a shed off of that deer, and that shed, you know, helped me, you know, figure out that deer's core area, and uh, I ended up killing him. 
And then I got one right here over top of my head that uh, <clears throat> I got a trail camera picture of this deer. I can't remember what year it was. I killed him in 2019, but um, he looked mature at that that moment. It's very similar to Rusty's tail he just told a while ago. And uh, but I once I killed him, I didn't recognize him. And uh, and I've got two sheds off of the deer. And it wasn't until uh, well here recently, I was just looking at my sheds and I thought. I think that's that deer. <laughs> and, and so, you know, I, I had killed him and didn't even realize it because he, he's very, very mature. And uh, it had been, you know, a couple, two or three years before I had found any sheds off of him, uh, you know, and had those trail camera pictures of him, you know. So he, he, he may have been one of those bucks like what Rusty was just talking about going AWOL, you know. He, lay, he may have left for a year or two and then came back. And yeah. I ended up killing him, but um, yeah, I mean that shoot—that's what we live for, right there. You know, uh, our scouting, our shed hunting, ultimately leads to success. You know, and whenever you can put it all together like that, I mean, to me, that's the pinnacle of uh, uh, hunting. You know. So we started off the podcast, and we were talking about acorns in house. You know, they kind of were possibly in different areas from year to year, depending on the conditions and such. I'm kind of wondering, do you think that finding these sheds in the same locations from multiple years, do you, would, would you attribute that to a more consistent late season food source in a particular area as to why they're there? No, I, me personally, I would attribute that to age, to maturity. Because once these bucks, and I'm sure Rusty will agree with me, once they get to the, and I'm going to say that six-year mark, I still think when they're five and four, they're a little bit uh, more apt to, you know, roam a little bit more. But now it seems like once they get to that six-year-old mark, they start settling into very specific areas. And uh, so, you know, I've got several sets, or, or as singles anyway, off of, uh, different bucks you know laying here and i've always been able to go back in there and uh uh, locate you know sheds off of that deer but now i'm going to tell you those deer can be some of the hardest ones to kill because they are so in tune with uh their area and everything going on around it and they they just don't move uh very much outside their core area you know during uh hunting season you know yeah, I agree with that 100%. Do y'all find that some of these sheds, like of the really big mature bucks, are at like the highest points in the area, like as far as elevation? Um, I know down here, like I found a lot of really good sheds, but all of the really good sheds seem to be like in some of the higher elevations for that general area. No, not me. I would say lower to middle elevation. On the on you talking about the bigger ones? Mm-hmm. The bigger ones. Yeah, I find most of my bigger ones in the in lower lying areas are like one third of the way up. And is your access is it mostly from the top or from the bottom? Uh, most of my access is from the bottom. That's for like the general like the roads and stuff are from the bottom, or like you just uh, your access going in is from the bottom. It's usually my access. I mean, a lot of the roads are, you know, kind of up higher, but 
usually when I access an area, um, and I don't know if it's just out of habit or what, but I, I, it probably is from just hunting. I try to access the way I would access it hunting. Not that it would make any difference, but uh, I'm also, when I'm scouting like that, looking for access at the same time. So I'm, I'm kind of going in the way I would go in hunting. And, you know, that way during hunting season, I know that access really good, you know, just getting familiar with that access. But I access mostly from lower if I can. What about you, Nathan? Uh, is, is there any anything you're finding as far as elevation with these more mature bucks? Yes. Uh, it's actually opposite for me. Uh, most of our, you know, most of the bigger ones I find are in the higher elevations. Um, I just think those, you know, the reason is, is because those bucks, they like it up there. You know, they, the thermals, uh, you know, work and, and their advantage, you know, uh, better prevailing winds, you know, they just got, it's, it's a more strategic spot for them up there. And as you was talking to Rusty about access, I think if you're not accessing from the bottom, uh, especially, uh, during the mornings, then, uh, you're killing the rest of your day. Uh, if you're if you're trying to access an area from the top during the mornings, you, you have probably killed your whole day right there. And <laughs> trust me, I, I've learned that uh, lesson hard because uh, in most areas you have dropping thermals uh, during you know pre-dawn, and if you're trying to access from the top and you've got deer below you they'll be long gone before you ever even get close to where you're one. And, and are your ac- is your access up there, uh, Nathan, is it mostly, are your, most of your roads on the bottom or are they on the ridge tops? No, sometimes, uh, sometimes I'm starting at the bottom, gain a thousand foot of elevation and cross over to the backside. I may drop, you know, three, 400 feet off the backside. Situations like that, I will go up to just under the top, and then I will cut around the side of the mountain just under the top. Then I will drop back down and then come back around. Uh, I never want to uh, go straight up and then straight back down over the other side, you know, uh, especially if now <clears throat> that, that's if the deer are accessing, you know, from the top going down or the bottom coming up. Now, sometimes if the deer are going around the side of the hill, then that would be the more preferred method. You know, you could drop down. But, you know, most of, you know, our excesses are from the bottom. But now a lot of our roads, you know, here in the mountains are up on top too. So it just depends on where you're at. But in my experience, you never want to drop into an area from the top uh, during the morning. And Nathan, I think uh, if I remember back from your episode, uh, which I was, I believe that was back 2020, Andrew, I think. Yeah, 2020. Um, Nathan, one thing that you mentioned, uh, which you just touched on, like how you'll come up up a mountain, you know, pre-dawn, but almost like you'll stage just below that crest be, until the thermal switch, and then you'll go either around or over the top uh, with that rising thermal once the thermal switch. Is that correct? Yes. Well, it depends on that day, you know, and if I'm, you know, uh, where I'm wanting to set up. And for example, that buck that I was just telling you about a while ago that I uh, killed uh, in 2019 that I had the sheds off of, they was called, we was calling for a south wind uh, that morning, and I was accessing from the south. So uh, the area that I was wanting to, I was coming up the south side of the mountain, and I was uh, the area that I was wanting to hunt was on the north side. Well, once I got up to the top, I, I stopped, and I waited because the weather said that the wind was going to switch from south 
to I think the northwest or something. I can't remember, but uh, I waited for that wind to switch before I popped over the top because if I'd have went over the top before it switched, you know, my, you know, not only the thermals was it dropping down into that hollow, but also the wind was coming out south and going right straight across the top of that mountain. And this buck uh, that I killed, you know, the that area over on that north side is, you know, where I had several big bucks, you know, using. So I waited for the uh, wind to switch, and I went just around the uh, under the side of the top of the mountain, and then I popped over. And as luck would have it, we actually met together in that spot that I was wanting to get to. And uh, but luckily, I seen him before he seen me. Yep, love at first sight, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. yeah, but now you know, a lot of times, like during the evenings and stuff. You know, and it, it's a timing thing because you got to know when those deer are going to show up. You know, you may, the spot that you're wanting to hunt, the wind may be wrong until the uh, uh, sun goes down. The uh, the sun goes down, the uh, wind will calm down, and then the thermals, you know, will switch and start blowing a completely different direction. And then you can go in and uh, get up the tree right quick. You know, and that, it, times like that, especially, you know, if you're hunting up, you know, on private ground, you might have a, a field that the deer are coming into or, uh, you know, some apple trees or whatever. Maybe it's an oak flat, you know, and you, you can't go in to that spot because of the current wind conditions. But if you wait just a little bit, it may switch, and then you can go in there and get a tree. So I am curious, uh, when we talk about this postseason scouting and also shed hunting, especially talking shed hunting here, because it seems like um, – you know, the aspect of, you know, wild scouting, you're scouting and you're shed hunting. It's hard for guys to do two things at once. And I can understand that. Like if you're looking for like rut sign, the tracks and everything while trying to find sheds, you could be missing a ton of sheds while doing so. But if a guy wants to go out there and plan a route of, Hey, I'm going to cover, like say they come up with the idea. I'm going to cover eight to 10 miles today and I'm going to plan a route. Can y'all talk about, and Russ, I'm going to start with you first. How do you plan a route with your maps uh, and your, especially topographical map? of how you're going to cover a certain mountainside or whatever, a drainage. Can you talk about how do you kind of pinpoint where you want to go and what path you want to take, especially at what elevation line you want to take while you're going in? Well, I mean, I'll, I'll uh, look at a place on the map and I'll mark spots on the map where I want to try to hit that day. But once I start walking – um, especially if it's a new area, once I start walking, uh, what's on the ground is going to dictate what I do from, from that point forward. Um, you know, if there's like, uh, if I get in there and I find a honeysuckle patch or whatever, or if I find a, a bench that, you know, is just covered up in red oak acorns or whatever, I'll change my, where I, I planned on going over here, but if it looks good once I get in there, I'll change my direction and then, you know, go that way. So, I mean, I'll plan it out ahead of time uh, with a general area and mark some spots that I want to try to hit that day. But once I get in the woods and start walking, what I see is what what's going to dictate what direction I end up going. Nathan, what about for you when you're going in? I mean, do you have a, a pretty well-rounded route ahead of time that you want to do? Or is it similar to kind of rusty where you just have some general points you want to get to? And, you know, depending on what you're finding on the ground, that will dictate how you can get to those certain points. Now, exactly the same as Rusty just said. I let my eyes do the uh, walking pretty much. 
because you know when I, I may you know sometimes I may have a uh, even a destination you know that I want to get to, but that don't mean I'm going to make it back to it because I let my eyes you know once you uh, uh, get boots on the ground, you get back in there looking around and stuff. Your eye is going to catch uh, certain areas that you know are higher odds areas, and that you know you're going to spend uh, most of your time in those type of areas. You know I like to grid search some. Uh, it wouldn't be a perfect grid, but I try to cover, you know, certain areas that are higher odds than others, you know, uh, as thoroughly as possible. I'll zigzag back through them, you know, and uh, then, you know, I may, you know, kind of speed through certain areas that, you know, really don't have that much promise until I start getting into another spot. And then I slow way down and then I'll start, you know, zigzagging and covering as much of that spot as I possibly can. That's a good point. And also, you mentioned uh, grid searching. Uh, if I find, when I find a side, then for about 100 yards right there, I'm fixing to really, really slow down and, and grid search, trying to find that other, that matching side. Hopefully, he dropped it within 100 yards. You know, that's when I found that one set the other day, it was about 50 yards. But when I found the one side, I slowed way down and I, Spent quite a bit of time looking for that match before I started moving on. I was imagining, like, you can't just be going in one path. Like, second you hit some sign, you're hitting that feed sign, you get into a good betting area, you start being very methodical on your movement of trying to find any and everything in that area. Like, you're going to, you know, overturn pretty much every leaf in order to try to find that shed and also whatever sign could be in that area. So I'm glad you both kind of hit on that because that from I'm asking these questions from a un, from a non- uh, you can say a non-shed hunter, just a very inexperienced shed hunter um, of things that I'm curious with. And, and I think a lot of other listeners as well that want to try to go out there and use these tactics uh, and kind of, kind of strategies for finding sheds, but also kind of learning what these bucks are doing for, you know, future setups with trail cameras and everything else. Um, so Nathan, what was your point you were about to, uh, about to hit on before I kind of interrupted you on that? I have found that if you don't find that, you know, if you find a single, and you start looking for that other half, if you don't find it within 100 yards or two of where uh, you found that one single, then the chances start going way down after that. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, m- most of the time, if it's if you don't find it within 100 yards radius, you're probably not going to find it. You know, sometimes you do, sometimes you don't, but chances go way down after that. Now, when it comes to uh, sheds, do y'all ever see many other guys out in the woods shed hunting? That was one question I had because I know out west, talking you know out west, uh, you know Colorado, uh, Wyoming, Montana, Utah, some of these other states that people are trying to find elk sheds, mule deer sheds, whole nine yards. Uh, it seems pretty competitive. Do y'all ever see anybody else out in the woods while shed hunting looking for other sheds? Personally, I don't. Um, I'm a rare breed around here. I do have a couple of buddies that uh, that do it, but you know we, you know they're they're kind of new to it. They've not been doing it that long. Now I have been like Ohio shed hunting some and uh, Western Kentucky, and I can tell you that those places definitely get a lot more pressure. Uh, if you're seeing boot tracks and stuff, then then you need to start thinking outside the box if you're going to find any. Start hitting the really thick stuff. A lot of people won't go into thick stuff. You know most people walk areas that they can see really good in. So in situations like that, I would definitely be getting back into the big stuff. Probably uh, here in an entire shed season, I'll run into about six people, but they're not, they're not serious. 
I mean, I've got one or two friends that are really serious about finding them like I am. And other than that, there'll, there'll be a few people, but they're not. I mean, if they go in there and walk a mile, they, they think they've done something. And, yeah. and they get frustrated and leave. It takes a lot of dedication to be a serious set and shed hunter don't rest it. <laughs> yeah, it does. I mean, you, you, like I said earlier, you have to want it. Uh, yeah. And, you know, to do it and, and to be successful at it. Now, do either one of y'all like go in like teams or anything like that? Like, are y'all, you know, communicating with other, you know, people you hunt with maybe, or I don't know about you, Nathan, you seem like you may be more of like a solo hunter. And I know Rusty, I think you hunt with your son and maybe some friends. So I didn't know if y'all's, you know, shed hunting may have differed a little bit. Yeah. Um, my son, uh, doesn't shed hunt that much. Uh, he's actually still hunting, <laughs> but, uh, no, I, I'm pretty much a lone wolf when it comes to, uh, to shed hunting. I'm, I'm pretty much by myself. I'll take my dog with me sometimes. Uh, but other than that, I'm, I'm pretty much by myself, but, uh, you know, hunting, you know, it's pretty much, I hunt with my son and then, you know, Dalton, our good buddy hunt with him. And that's about it. Actually, got there's a, actually a podcast coming out uh, on Bear Grease with Clay Newcomb that I just did. It should be coming out any time, and it's about whitetail secrets. Y'all need to listen to that. It'll be fun. Oh, I definitely will. <laughs> I definitely will. It's basically talking about, uh, you know, sharing photos with friends and posting stuff on social media and, you know, stuff such as that. And it's, it's real interesting the way Clay goes about doing it, and it'll, there's some pretty good stuff on there interesting well nathan um you know you were saying that you know you're pretty much you know um anomaly in your area not many people do what you're doing how do y'all think i want again both y'all to answer this how do y'all think again overall this overall picture of postseason scouting and shed hunting has affected your hunting uh, this is kind of as well, this is one of my final questions, unless one of the other guys have anything else. You know, uh, Nathan, I'll let you kind of uh, lead off with it again. How do you feel like shed hunting and postseason scouting's affected you and your hunting strategy and success over the last few years? Well, I think it hinges off of that. You know, the more time you spend in the woods, the more you're going to make luck for yourself. You know, it's the more you work at it, the better luck you're going to have at it. You know, and but you know, I can't help. I can't help not to go. That's how much I love it. I mean, that winter uh, scouting and shed hunting to me is the only thing that tops it is that encounter with that specific buck. That's it. Nothing else. You know, sitting in a tree stand really is not that fun uh, in bad weather. You know, but once you got him on the ground, it gets fun. But I absolutely love love walking uh, the mountains. If if it never got dark, if the sun stayed up all the time, I would probably never quit walking until my feet was completely wore off. That's how much I love it. And I've been doing it since I was old enough to drive. You know, uh, I can remember back in high school, whenever I first started driving, you know, when my buddies was going skiing or uh, to the pool hall or, you know, out doing normal things teenagers done, I didn't do that. I was in the mountain scouting all the time. You know, that's what I loved to do, you know, and still do. You know, I'm almost not too far from 50 now, and, you know, I still love it as much as I did, you know, back then, you know. 
So, you know, you learn a lot of things uh, in the woods by spending that much time in the woods, you know. And, you know, it's going to make you a better woodsman, you know. So, to me, all your success hinges off of it. It's an open book, you know, this time of year, you know. So, you know, just because you find a big set of sheds, you know, doesn't mean that uh, you can use those sheds to help you kill that buck, but the conditions have to repeat you know, from year to year, because you might not find them in the same area every year. But like we done talked about, you know, we've already had that discussion. But, you know, but what you have by finding those sheds, you know, is you have the evidence. You know, if you don't have hard evidence that a, that the caliber buck you're looking for actually lives there, then why spend time there? You know, move on until you find what you look for. And, and, what, and what better time to do it than right now? It's probably a good thing that me and Nathan live 800 miles apart because if we got together, I mean, it would be bad because I'm the same exact way. I mean, we would have sheds stacked to the ceiling. But uh, when you yeah, got it, when uh, you got it, you got it, don't you, buddy? When you got it, you got it. I mean, last week I wore a blister on my foot too. I was in a new pair of boots and I knew it was going to happen. And they weren't broke in yet, but. Uh, yeah, I mean, my ultimate goal is to harvest a mature buck, and I'm going to do everything in my power to put the odds in my favor. And I feel like the postseason scouting, the shed hunting, and all that plays a integral part in uh, going after that mature buck. And I want to put the odds in my favor, and anything that I can do, to put the odds in my favor, that's what I'm going to do. And on top of that, I mean, I love to walk. I'm just like Nathan. I love to walk. Nobody likes to go with me. That's why I pretty much do it on my own. My son doesn't go with me. Nobody can hang with me. And I, I am 50 years old. And even these young guys, they, they don't know part of I mean, you can ask Rustin and Dalton both. They will not go. And even during hunting season, you know, they're – I mean, they will not even go walking with me at all because, they. they I mean, they, they just can't hang. But anyway, that's what I do. I do everything in my power to put the odds in my favor, and I feel like it helps me a lot, you know, this time of year. And it's killing me that I'm having to go to some of these events. I know I'm going to have fun going to them, but, but in, the, in the back of my mind, it's killing me that I'm not going to be out there, and I'm afraid somebody's going to pick up some sheds that I would normally be picking up, but, uh, but yeah, I absolutely love it and I wouldn't trade it for nothing. And, you know, I hadn't been doing it as long as Nathan don't sound like I've been shed hunting for probably about 15 years. Uh, but you know, now that I'm older and, you know, uh, my kids are grown and, uh, my, I've got a, a wife that will support me and let me do this kind of stuff. It helps a whole lot that, she lets me go and doesn't gripe about it or nothing like that. And I've got all this time to go out there and do this. And that's what it takes is time. You have to have the time and you have to have the, the, the get up and go to want to do it and to want it that bad. But I absolutely love it. I'm going to do it as long as I can walk. 
Well, guys, listen, I'm just going to say this. I thoroughly enjoy this episode. Y'all two have been fantastic together. So, Nathan and uh, Russ, I appreciate y'all coming on. Um, not not to try to put any pressure on you guys, but uh, hopefully, I don't know if y'all enjoy this, but if y'all did, I've got another idea for maybe a, another episode with you two on a little bit later on, maybe in a few months. That would be pretty interesting. Um, if Especially if the listeners like this, if, especially, you know, talking to listeners now, if y'all enjoyed this episode and enjoyed, uh, you know, this take on uh, some podcast episodes and also just getting Russ and Nathan's opinions, uh, let us know because it's giving me more ideas for future episodes as well. Because uh, I've thoroughly, I've enjoyed this. I like it where we have you know two guys on there, very experienced woodsmen, very successful hunters that can really kind of hash out what helps them be successful. So it's one thing when you talk to one person. It's another thing when you talk to two people that live again like eight hundred miles from each other that do stuff very similar that have very similar results killing some big deer. Um, that's pretty freaking awesome, and that's kind of eye opening to you know me as a, one of the podcast hosts. And uh, we talked to a bunch of different people and. Uh, again, it kind of gives myself more confidence of like, Hey, if it's working for these two guys, you know, there's a lot of things to pick out of this to try to, you know, focus on, um, especially if you are trying to get out there and become a better woodsman, like you guys are. And again, spend more time in the woods because that's why I look at postseason scouting is the guys that really love postseason scouting are to me, some of the better woodsmen that I personally know, you know, they're spending a ton of time out there. They're learning everything they can because they, not only they love it, but they're trying to better themselves for the following season and get better and better. And I feel like that's what this podcast is all about and i just want to say thank you guys for coming on here and sharing all that knowledge enjoyed being on here jacob anytime yes yes sir and i actually like this platform uh, and being able to talk to rusty you know back and forth because no matter how successful you are nobody is a uh expert there's a lot of guys out there that claim that they're experts but nobody's an expert everybody does that no matter how successful you are nobody does exactly the same thing and you can always learn from uh, other hunters so uh i, I really really like this um iron sharpness iron you know yep agree 100 percent. absolutely well thank y'all gentlemen and uh, listen y'all have a, a blessed rest of your uh, postseason scouting and uh shed hunting season oh yeah yes sir Thanks again, everybody, for tuning in to another episode of the Southern Outdoorsman. And thank you to Blackberry Smoke for the music for the podcast. Also, to follow along with us, make sure you check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. And if you'd like to support the show, you can go to patreon.com forward slash the Southern Outdoorsman. Until next time, y'all stay Southern. Y'all go ahead and write down the dates, June 28th through June the 30th. Go ahead and just mark those off your calendar so you can be at the Dalton Convention Center in Dalton, Georgia for the 2024 Mobile Hunters Expo. Y'all heard a a ton of content from that expo last year that we posted. Uh, We talked about it a ton. Look, if you're the kind of person that listens to this podcast... 
This show was literally made for you. It was literally designed for you, which means you're going to love it. You know, all the best companies in mobile hunting are going to be there. A lot of the best deer killers in the Southeast are going to be there. A lot of our past podcast guests are going to be there. It's just, it's going to be an incredible event. And hey, if you've been looking to either get into a saddle or maybe a mobile lock-on setup or just a different kind of tree stand setup, I'm telling you, it's worth the investment to go to this show because they're all going to be there and you, you will get to try all of them in person before you buy it. So you don't have to order something online and then wait for it and then try it when it comes in to see if you really like it, you're going to get to go put your hands on everything all in one day, test it all out and figure out exactly what works best for you and have it taken care of before deer season starts. So like I said, go ahead and put it on your calendar, guys. It's a no brainer. You got to be at the show. Again, it's Friday, June 28th through Sunday, June 30th in Dalton, Georgia. We absolutely cannot wait to meet you guys there and talk hunting. So we'll see you at the 2024 Mobile Hunters Expo in Dalton, Georgia.